withdrawal. Deleted every number from my phone. I'm staying home. Really wish that I was drunk with all my friends. I'm gonna beat it or I won't. An overdose. Really wish that I was high with all my friends. Welcome everyone to the Tory Says Show. I hope my sound is good. I hope you can hear me. It's gonna be pretty wild today. We've got some stuff to talk about. And uh, indeed, I had someone send me that, uh, not for any other reason, but <laughs> indeed, the devil never smacks you down if you are not doing something that threatens him. Evil does not crawl out if it is not threatened by you. And right now you are an existential threat to all of them. They don't want you talking. They don't want you sharing information. You should only share what they tell you. How dare you get out of line? But we're gonna talk about frequencies on another level today. We're gonna talk about the science behind um, emotions and how they shape you biologically. So I thought we'd take it to that level so that way you understand over the years uh, how many people have uh, attempted to give you what the biggest secret is. And here's Earl Nightingale. Very few people have learned it, understand it. That's why it's strange and why for some equally strange reason it virtually remains a secret. I believe that you could go out and walk down the main street of your town and ask one man after another what the secret of success is, and you probably wouldn't run into one man in a month who could tell you. Now, this information is enormously valuable to us if we really understand it and apply it. It's valuable to us not only for our own lives, but the lives of those around us, our families, employees, associates, and friends. Life should be an exciting adventure. It should never be a bore. A man should live fully be alive. He should be glad to get out of bed in the morning. He should be doing a job he likes to do because he does it well. One time I heard Grove Patterson, the great late editor-in-chief of the Toledo Daily Blade, make a speech, and as he concluded his speech, he said something I've never forgotten. He said, my years in the newspaper business have convinced me of several things. Among them, that people are basically good, and that we came from someplace, and we're going someplace. So we should make our time here an exciting adventure. The architect of the universe didn't build a stairway leading nowhere. And please remember that. For anyone telling you how you must think and how you must feel, please remember that the architect of this universe, of this reality that you are experiencing, did not create something to lead to nowhere. That's a very important statement, extremely important. Now, many of us have seen the news over the weekend and all we can do is think, well, what is this? This is, I'm getting a lot of information at once and it's all garbage. All of it is garbage, okay, then what? Okay, then what? What is it that they're telling us? Oh, they're telling us, you know, immigrants, you know, Racism, you know, UN, you know, all these weird variants that are created in laboratories, by the way. All this stuff, travel, yes, maybe, no. Your summer's going to be cut short. You're going to be locked down. You're going to get a boot on your face. Listen, you're going to go through a lot of pain. I said that last year. 
before the election, six, seven months before the election. I said, I told you who was going to call the elections. And I told you that it was not going to be good, what we would be going through. And the only thing that anyone should be doing right now that has any source should be giving the tools to the people. This is very, very frustrating for me to watch the confusion and the pain that Americans and people globally on all continents are going through. They're confused as to what will come tomorrow. They're in constant fear and hostages to whoever is running their government. It is so sad for me to observe this. But again, look at how much information you're getting. Didn't the media last week tell you about art? Bullshit. I'm going to flex to you this week and show you how the media didn't do their job. How they're not calling out the real person. It's not fucking Joe Biden. I'm going to tell you that. They don't even know what they're talking about. So this is half-assed journalism, bullshit, parroting, whitewashing, and covering up to just throw a bone so people can shut up. And one thing that I've realized, and I know many of you that have been listening to me for years have realized, that uh, even those people that have been taking incredible information that has been released to them over the years through many means and skewed it so that it's not recognizable anymore. In that information that they claim to purport and to know and need you to translate for them, it clearly demonstrates what they are doing now. Now, it's this, this week for me is a little bit, um, well, since Saturday has been a little bit um, on a personal level, not good. But, and that is mostly because of my emotional state of uh, the, the, the reception of the information that I'm getting from people, not the trolls. I, I really could give two shits, okay? Um, but it's really hurt me to read messages from so many people around the world. And I'm actually still going through some letters when I should be putting my things away and emptying my boxes, um, that just make my heart break. I, I received a letter from India from a listener and, uh, I just sat on the floor and cried like a baby uh, and it wasn't anything traumatic, drastic. It was the tone. You could hear it. The desperation. And this is why I thought today would be a great time to show you how that amazing machine that you are is dispelled for you a little bit more. I've um, um, made it uh, so, how do I? I've tried to explain to you that the six inches between your ears are so valuable. It's insane. And one thing many people have learned to do over the time of the lockdown and interacting with people that are just too far gone for them is learn to control their emotions that they emote out to others. That's pretty easy. You know, purse your lips, look the other way, think of a happy place. Think of something super funny that I just thought of and made me laugh. Um, 
but um, how to actually take hold of um, what you are feeling. Because, uh, you know, through throughout our, our time on air, I've expressed to you how frequencies resonate and how light simply is, it does not travel. I've also uh, demonstrated to you with Dr. Moto's um, experimentations, how uh, sound frequency, more than anything, affects water and therefore shapes actual matter. So I thought we could delve into that just a little bit um, today and go through that and kind of give you an idea of what you're going to be hearing about this week, news-wise. Um, I think we should start with the news-wise, what you're going to be hearing. And I'm going to take it back to a very old um, friend. And you guys probably know this. You're going to call us racist. You're going to call us potential Timothy McVeigh's. Fuck you. War. All right, guys, can you hear me better now? Is this better? Guys, the chat was coming in all at once. Uh, so that should be better, right? It is better? Okay, good. Um, I don't know where um, you couldn't hear me. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to slow down for a second and go to Rumble. Okay. Can you guys tell me uh, on Rumble where I left off, uh, where you couldn't hear anything? Any idea like where I was? Now, I can't see um, Twitch and everything else only because um, uh, the actual um, chats are really, really fast. Okay. Um, to my archivists. Um, okay. Andrew was talking. Okay. From the beginning from Andrew. Okay. Um, fair enough. To my archivist, I'm going to terminate this feed, I guess. And um, no, I won't terminate it yet. I have a million chats. Guys, I kid you not. I got over. This is the problem because I merged the IRC and we chats. Um, all right. So it's from Andy. Okay. I got it. So we're at Andy. Yeah, okay. And I don't got it. Do I? Here we go. Let's start him over. Wow, this is just insane. I don't know why it's doing this. All right, guys. Um, I'm going to have to end this stream and start all over again. I sincerely apologize. Lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just want to be the one you love. With your admission, you feel the same. I'll have reached the goal I'm dreaming of. That's what's up. I'm back, bitches. All right. So, no matter how hard this attempt goes, um, yeah, I, I will always, it's like herpes, right? It'll just keep coming back. Truth cannot be silenced. Sorry. So, let's start this again. Today, I'm going to give you insight on what you need as tools and what you're going to be finding out. This popcorn, this enjoy the show, isn't happenstance, happen chance. It doesn't mean sit back and watch the movie. It means that everything you're watching is scripted and written and it's only a perception. Well, 
talk about actual and perceived so you understand. And see, Andy Breitbart actually had a magnificent insight on this. So we're going to go back to his, to that old interview of his. And I'm going to tell you what, what a lot of people think the vaccines were for. You know, a lot of people are like, well, they cause autism. But what does that really mean? And you're going to understand why it exists. Here we go. It's those that disagree with them or the right, the conservative movement, for just allowing for it to happen and not to, to fight back. Segment two is what difference does it make? Let me quote you again. Andrew Breitbart. The popularity of American movies, I'm quoting you, quote, allows for a very parochial political sensibility in this town, Hollywood, to be propagated around the world. And people just assume, well, that's Hollywood. That's the voice of the American people, close quote. So Hollywood is messing up our foreign policy. It's more subtle. Than, give, give, give me what, what, does, what difference does it make that Hollywood is to, so far to the left? It's a small community, a few thousand lefties running the entertainment business. So what? Well, I mean, would you hire, you know, if Madison Avenue is willing to hire an actor and give him a million dollars to sell Sapporo beer in Japan, uh, that, that actor must be worth that money because they're going to get the audience to, you know, to buy that, that specific brand of beer. When the entirety, when the collective of Hollywood uh, sends a message to the rest of the world that affirms the worst narrative about the United States that only tells half of the story or perhaps not even half of the story, it ends up having a net effect, especially when uh, a left-leaning European press, uh, their, their, their sensibilities are in simpatico. And what I think is at play is a lot of insecure actors who didn't go to college uh, and feel you know, intimidated by people of a higher intellect take their movies to Cannes or San Sebastian, and they find themselves not around the working class of France or Spain. They find themselves around the elite of the elite of the elite. And what and they- they're foolish enough to suppose that just because they smoke their cigarettes like this, French critics are superior right. somehow. Well, right. it, look, it's, there's such a limitation of the point of view that comes out of Hollywood, uh, especially on, on political movies mm -hmm. uh, these days. But even movies like Wolverine that's out right now, uh, there that the, I haven't seen it yet. But my there's an an, boys came there's home. An, right, there's an anti. So there, there's the bad guy in the movie is a repressed military guy who has a, a who who in one subliminal scene has a, a little cross on, you know his his lapel, and. Or the James Bond, this, uh, what's his name, Daniel Craig, the nude Bond? Yeah. The second Bond movie, which I rented the other evening. The bad guy, it's unbelievable. Right. Well, it's the Americans stop. are trying they're, to take over there, there are two, look, you cannot get a film produced now that has uh, Islamist terrorists. Um, you can get movies produced. In fact, you see them all over the place in which people of traditional values or uh, corporations, American corporations, are the, are the bad guys. And... I know people within the system who tell me how th this plays out. Uh, you know, uh, one thing I've been able to find out over the last ten years is more money now um, comes from uh, uh, foreign box office. Sixty-five percent uh, 
to 35%. That wasn't always the case. You make most of your money on your right. foreign releases. Right. So, so you're, you're catering to the foreign audience. And so we may have, you know, uh, an invested, uh, at, you know, we may have an investment against uh, radical Islam, but the rest of the world wants to kind of keep at bay nice. and doesn't want to take them on, doesn't want to foment rage against that, that community. Yeah, they don't want to do the whole Spanish Inquisition again, you know. So um, this is just giving you a hint. While everyone's going after low-hanging fruit like Joe Biden, my eyes are on the real prize, the person that ushered our nation into all of this. And I should actually show you the website that is up and created so that you can see who I'm talking about. See, all these people are, uh, you know, that's untouchable. That's untouchable. <laughs> Maybe for you, but not for me. Maybe for you, but not for me. See, it is really important for people to understand who their enemies are, right? It's time. And now many will say, oh my gosh, Tori, right now we've got Biden as posing as president, our nation is going tits up. They're introducing new variants and they're going to lock us down and you're focused on this idiot? Oh, just watch and see how this awesome party begins. So when I would be tweeting that out in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, until they deleted me in 21... There was a reason for it. My proximity to that man was insane. The things that I know, insane. And I am so lucky that I, I pray. That's all I have to say. I pray. And it's important that we pray um, because it helps us understand uh, what truth is. Now, Truth. Do you know what truth versus reality really is? I mean, how do you tell between what reality and truth are? They're supposed to be one in the same, right? They're supposed to be one in the same. But to be frank, the only reason we evolved to survive as a people is because we are able to not see what is really there. What? Yeah. What you're seeing isn't really there. And you know who actually had said that first? Freaking Galileo. Yeah, he totally did. And they put him under house arrest because he was telling people you could see that the sun and the stars and everything up there is not revolving around us. Well, we could all see that the earth doesn't move and that the sun and the moon and the stars are going around, right? That's what we could all see, right? But he was saying that's not what your eyes are letting you see. And, you know, people believed that the center of the universe was the earth. And this is what you see. But it is not so. Your eyes, <laughs> to, 
to believe it, you must see it. Well, you know, that kind of depends. Because for 2,000 years, people thought that the Earth was the center of the universe. And, you know, here comes Galileo, like, yo, no. The, uh, the Earth is actually kind of moving, too, and is definitely not the center of the universe. You're not that special. And so what they did is they said, oh, you know what? This guy's talking too much. We can't have him going out into the streets telling people these truths. We're supposed to tell them how we're the ultimate. We're supposed to train these people to listen to us. And this guy is so violent. There go. They put him under house arrest for it. Because nobody, nobody likes to be told that their eyes and their ears aren't telling them the truth. Nobody. Nobody likes that. Everybody hates the truth. When someone speaks the truth, they yell at it. They hit it. They pull its tongue out. They throw it in the darkness because they don't want to listen. Now, you know, Galileo was pretty much an OG, man. That guy, they had nothing on it. This guy was like a super OG, okay? Super OG. So while he was under house arrest for saying blasphemous things and saying that the earth isn't the center of the universe and people aren't that special and stuff, right, in, in that respect, um, he also said that, you know, what you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you feel isn't real either. What? What? What do you mean it's not real? So basically, let's pretend the color blue. Let's take the color blue, for example. This is what he meant. Colors, we see them with our eyes, right? Well, if everybody had no eyes, would there still be color? Would there still be color if everyone had no eyes? Would it exist if you didn't have eyes? If everybody on the planet, right, toroidal, planes, whatever, if they suddenly had no eyes, no animals had eyes, no people had eyes, nobody had eyes, would colors still exist? That's a question you should ask yourself. Would colors still exist if there were no eyes? Because remember, we've, this is a perfect example because we have people that are colorblind. So for them, some colors don't exist. Does it make the, the, what, what the color, I don't know, a specific blue not exist because you're colorblind? It exists for Mary, but not for John. Huh? So the truth, reality versus the truth. Oh, that's something you should uh, allow to percolate. So let's talk reality versus truth, right? Reality versus truth. What is your reality? So your reality relies on your ability to perceive situations, your consciousness, how you see things. There are people that wake up every day and they see things, you know, in a different color spectrum because they cannot see all colors, right? There are people that wake up every morning and they think, you know, there's flames all around them, right? You call them insane, but they see fire everywhere, everywhere. They're just like the floor is lava, period, right? That's their reality. So your reality is a construct of your consciousness and what you perceive 
and interpret as such. So that having been said, what do what does science say about this? <laughs> Whatever, right? What science says. Now, what Galileo had said, and what I'm telling you is that if if something is to exist, it must exist if the person perceiving it doesn't exist. So if all of us were deaf, would music exist? If all of us were deaf, would we know about music if we were deaf? Or would we be seeing music like synesthesia, right? I'm just trying to get you into that mindset to understand where we're going right now, okay? Um, so if, if it requires someone to be removed, you have to see if all the qualities of music and light and, and sound and colors would still exist. But in fact, to quote Galileo, he said, all those things would be annihilated because they aren't real. So, you know, he clearly said that. Basically, that we're making shit up. The smells, the tastes, the colors, we share that reality because we all have eyes and ears. And so, in essence, your reality is built by your experience. See, a blind person will never have the experience of blue. You can tell them about it and you can educate him on what blue may look like, but they can't see it. So, basically, we're fabricating our reality. We are building our reality ourselves. And collectively, we are being ushered as one to agree on certain things. Like there's a forest green and a Kelly green. They're all on different spectrums, right? So we fabricate our reality. And objective reality, one would say, is, is what? Well, physicists would say that, you know, that whatever it is would continue to exist even if the person that's perceiving it doesn't exist. So does a rock exist because you're blind? Yeah, it's still there. You'll fall down on your face if you trip over it. Therefore, that's part of your reality that you have a rock in front of you. Um, but color, I mean, that's pretty interesting. Many people say uh, the, the easiest example is to say, well, the sun. For example, the sun existed before any life. You know, scientists say that. I don't. And the sun existed before any life. So, uh, therefore, if all people disappear from Earth, the sun will still exist. But is that true? <laughs> that's a question. That's a philosophy question. That's a, that's a really big thing question, right? So, here's where we're going to um, understand what truth really, really is. And it's not what you think. Now, again, Andy Breitbart told you about um, uh, Hollywood and how they perceive how the rest of the world, number one, perceives us as uh, certain, uh, that we have a certain ideology because Hollywood is pushing it. But in essence, that's not the case, right? But who's going to stop because they have the bigger microphone and how other countries are funding it. Well, I want you to hear what Rose McGowan had said about the hidden rules of Hollywood. And what is Hollywood like when you're a teenager? What is that whole experience like? It's also maybe different now. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I did that and then I went away for a bit and then I went back and did another movie. And then um, 
by 19, I, you could say I was really in it. Uh, what is Hollywood like? It was filled with all of these rules that were never written down anywhere, but everyone knew the rules and everyone passed these rules on to you. Female agents um, were big uh, in my life and they had definitely a hand in telling me the rules that I had to abide by, such as, you know, you have to have long hair so the men in Hollywood want to have sex with you. If they don't want to have sex with you, they're not going to cast you. And they said it in more aggressive terms. And, and I just, I guess I figured they knew and I didn't want to be homeless again, so I grew up my hair. And that kind of led to the start of this external life. It was like my internal and my external self were so wildly divergent, but stuck together. And it was almost like doing deep undercover work as, as, a, as a famous woman. It was really weird. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but I always knew it wasn't going to be the big deal in my life. It wasn't going to be the big deal. So you're always kind of playing a part as yeah. a person that plays a part. Yes. Okay. Exactly. All right. And you're now getting kind of really deep into this, well, you've called it a patriarchy in LA. And I was wondering if you could talk a little more about that because you talk about it in the book and you have a great stat about the Director's Guild, but it's not just about men that, that keep this in place. No, it's women too. It's It's not... You know, the patriarchy takes all of us. It's not like, oh, there's 49% of the population, men, and they're ruling everything, and we're just here like, ah, no, women actively support this power structure. And they actively support a power structure that doesn't support them, which is, by definition, a cult. And Hollywood, it, it's like, it's, it's almost like biblical. It goes back to, like, the, you know, the, the, the wizened old, man like on his throne like going like this and whenever these kind of edicts are handed down oh you have to do this or the studio will be really unhappy with you oh you have to do this magazine cover where you're wearing nothing but an ammo belt or the studio will be really unhappy with you studio will be really unhappy with you and that's like the, the you know the god voice talking to you and you can really substitute one for the other mm. and it's it's rather chilling i think and it's like 96 percent of the directors guild are men yeah, 96% of the, in the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, are men. And that statistic hasn't changed since 1946. So it's just a really narrow view. And it's primarily white male. And, and that just doesn't reflect what I see on the streets. And there's nothing wrong with white men. But we don't only want to have their viewpoint. So that was interesting. So we've got Andy Breitbart's side that they're doing, you know, their fags, right? Film Actors Guild going out there, pushing a message that is not ours out into the public, making it seem like, oh, America believes this because this is what's going on there. It's like that. What was it? That Wakanda movie, right? That was totally put there to create division. Or have you seen those? Like there's movies out there purposely created to cause division, right? Purposely created to cause division. And why, right? What is that they're going for? Well, it's controlling the narrative, of course, and it's busting truth versus reality. I mean, if you constantly see something, you'll just accept it as reality. You have to go back in time to your thoughts and to how you thought of things and how you felt about things. Speaking of feelings. So 
autism and vaccines and injuries and changes to children, which my child was injured from. I've made that clear. I had her taken for stem cell chelation therapy because she changed from one day to another. So it isn't something that's like been debunked unless you've had a kid that's had it. But here is what they really were striving for. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but it's called alexithymia, which means that you don't have words to express your feelings, meaning you don't have feelings, meaning you lack compassion and empathy. Ande, today's question is, what is alexithymia? So alexithymia is a construct, and sometimes it's thought of as a personality construct or a condition that involves difficulty identifying feelings or recognizing feelings or emotions in other people. Alexithymia is not a mental health disorder, but it is a construct we oftentimes see when certain mental health disorders are present. We could think of alexithymia as having both internal and external components. So with the internal component, we see that somebody has difficulty identifying their own feelings, describing those feelings, expressing those feelings. So there's a deficit in awareness of feeling. Also, there's difficulty differentiating between feelings and bodily sensations. We also see a decrease in imagination and thinking is restricted to more concrete and logical than abstract. It's also noted here that dreams can be affected by this internal component of alexithymia. Dreams are basic and realistic as opposed to having a lot of fantasy. So again, consistent with the decrease in imagination. Also, we see increased impulsivity with alexithymia. Now, as far as the external component, this is a failure to recognize emotions in other people. And just like the internal component, this can be specific to certain emotions. Alexithymia is on a continuum. So someone could have difficulty recognizing sadness or fear, but be able to recognize enthusiasm. So we see that alexithymia can be challenging because it causes suffering, it damages relationships potentially, and also it can hurt careers. So let me stop there. It was um, a couple of years ago um, that I did a show and I showed you a clip of um, a weapon that, that was being created, which was targeting the God gene. And what that is, is that there are specific areas in the brain uh, that allow one to feel God, to um, feel that that there is a creator and others that just desensitize them from having that. What one alexithymia was considered a mental disorder, meaning that you had no ability to express emotions correctly. You would lose, you would use logic. And when someone would say hurtful things to you, you really didn't give a shit, right? And when people were laughing, you didn't know if they were laughing at you or with you. And when you would, you know, and you don't have, um, the need to, when you say things, you're not fishing for compliments, you're just saying it. So there's a big spectrum of that, depending on your expression. Um, and, um, I guess, uh, your, how it has a, how, what effects it's had on you. That's why some people that have alexithymia, um, you know, for women lately, it's been an increase in libido. Like women are not sexually active anymore in their twenties. I mean, you know, 
decades ago, women in their 20s were horny as shit. Um, they would be, you know, having one night stands every day. Things are different now. Um, children weren't as impulsive, but they were more expressionate. They loved to hug. They loved to have conversations, right? And they would see someone hurt and they would hurt too. They would have that empathy, that sympathy. People would be sympathetic. So, you know, a, a good example is, I, I don't, I, I mean, for me, it, it was one of the most horrific scenes I had ever seen. And it wasn't that bad because I've seen people turn to hamburger in front of me. But this, for me, hurt me. It was in Washington, D.C. There was a protest going on and there was an old man. He was frail. Um, he was really old and he was holding up a sign about life to be pro-life. Right. And he just stood there. And there were young women screaming almost rabidly about, um, you know, their right to abortion. And the one blonde girl, as she was dancing around him and screaming, knocked the sign off and knocked him down. And she didn't care. She didn't care that this frail man that has been on this planet, you know, so many decades more than her, she attacked him. Uh, it's, and, and another one is, uh, the video where they took that kid that was autistic and tied him up. You know, those, uh, three black teens, was it in Illinois that they did it? I don't remember Michigan where they took this teen that was autistic and were spitting on him, made him drink pee, eat poop. They beat the crap out of him while they had him, um, strapped to a uh, radiator and they were live streaming it and people were like cheering it on. There was no empathy there, no sympathy, right? And while many people call this evil, the only way humans that are innately good to become like this is to be raised as such or to be, or their software to be manipulated. And I'll explain that. So I, I want this doctor to just continue so that way you can understand um, different terms and how he explains this disorder, which now has become one in the same with autism. So even though it's not a mental health disorder, it certainly has mental health consequences in a number of presentations. We can also think of alexithymia as having two dimensions, cognitive and affective. And this lets us categorize the deficits in terms of thinking or feeling. So on the cognitive side, it's identifying, interpreting, and describing feelings. And on the affective side, it's experiencing and expressing feelings. So somebody could have a deficit in the cognitive dimension, but not as much in the affective or the opposite can be true. Most times we think of alexithymia though, we think of deficits being present on both the cognitive and affective dimensions. Now, as I mentioned, alexithymia is not a mental health disorder, but it's often comorbid with specific mental health disorders. We tend to see alexithymia more with narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and some depressive and anxiety disorders, as well as substance use disorders. There are also a number of other mental health disorders that we see alexithymia to one degree or another. So it's fairly common when we look at all of psychopathology. We believe that alexithymia affects about 8% of males and 2% of females. We know that alexithymia can interfere with mental health treatment. 
So if somebody has one of those mental health disorders or another mental health disorder and alexithymia, the alexithymia can get in the way of the treatment because a lot of the mental health modalities focus on being in touch with feelings and being able to identify feelings in other people, for example, to build better relationships. So alexithymia obstructs improvement in a number of presentations. So how can we treat alexithymia? Well, if it becomes the focus of treatment, there are a variety of ways that we can address it. A lot of times we think of mental health therapies for alexithymia that focus on feelings and body sensations and increasing awareness. So right away, a modality like gestalt therapy would come to mind. It can also be treated from the other point of view, from one of the cognitive behavioral therapies, like rational emotive behavior therapy or cognitive therapy. So with these therapies, the logical side would probably be looked at first. So really working to identify the thoughts and see how those so can be connected with feelings and from there build awareness to feelings. So with alexithymia, of course, when we talk about the logical thinking associated with it, we're not talking about an increase in logical thinking ability. We're simply talking about a restriction. So the awareness of feelings, that component has a deficit and all that remains would be a concrete and logical thinking style. The abstract is removed. However, when using cognitive therapy, I still believe in a number of presentations, this could be a good match because you have a concrete place to start with the logical and then you can move to the feelings. There are a number of other modalities that can be used to treat alexithymia as well as the disorders that tend to co-occur with it. So this guy has some really good, um, you know, really good videos out there. Um, let's see, his uh, channel is um, Dr. Todd Grand Grande. <laughs> he's, he's pretty good. Now I wanted to show you this really fruity video. Um, the girl was very distracting. But I, you're going to understand why I'm showing this to you. Uh, it's quite important. Take a listen. For most people, articulating your emotions might be uncomfortable or embarrassing, but they can do it if they try. For some people, simply identifying what it is that you're feeling can seem impossible. And expressing your emotions is like trying to jump over the moon. Before I really get into what alexithymia is, I want to mention Cynthia Kim's excellent post, Emotional Dysfunction, Alexithymia, and ASD, and thank her for her excellent work in breaking down the topic into more accessible pieces, and for her insight that informed this video. Unlike many of my other video topics, right now alexithymia is not widely considered a condition or disorder by the psychiatric field, but more of a personality construct or a kind of theory used to describe people who have trouble verbalizing emotions. While difficulty verbally expressing your emotions is a big part of alexithymia, hence the name, there is a bit more to it. So what is it like to have alexithymia? I don't have it myself, so I had to reach out to a lot of people who do in my research for this video, including my husband Marvin. I also read a lot, and I'll link my sources in the video description box. As I talk about this, it's good to keep in mind that every person is unique, and so their experience with alexithymia will be too, and that there are degrees in which people experience alexithymia, so mildly, moderately, more severely. But what experiences are common amongst people who have alexithymia? 
Difficulty distinguishing between emotions and bodily sensations is common in people with lexithymia, as well as, of course, difficulty identifying the emotions that you are feeling and difficulty expressing your emotions to other people. Many people with alexithymia will also be stimulus seekers and may think and process best when they can interact with their environment and externally work through things. I find that anecdotally, a lot of people who have alexithymia are kinesthetic learners who do best when they can be hands-on. Some autistic people I've spoken to believe that they didn't always have alexithymia, but they developed it when their attempts to express themselves or emote were met with disdain, disapproval, or anger from non-autistic people in their lives. Other autistic people believe that they have always had alexithymia and that it's just another feature of how their brain works. And I should note that you don't have to be autistic to have alexithymia. Alexithymia can occur in non-autistic people as well. When it comes to living with alexithymia, some people really struggle with it and others don't mind. I would only consider alexithymia a problem when the person with alexithymia themselves considers it a problem. People with alexithymia may have something known as flat effect. This can look a lot like speaking in a monotonous voice or speaking without much inflection of tone. It can also present as atypical facial expression, the most common presentation being flat or very subtle facial expressions. You can also have a flat effect without having alexithymia, something sometimes seen in autistic people. And it's possible to have a flat effect at some times and not others. I do when I'm very nervous or understimulated or when I'm in an environment with unfamiliar people. A person who has flat effect has the same potential to experience the same vast range of human emotion as anyone else. They may just not be able to identify or express their emotions, or they may just express it through different facial expressions or tone of voice, or not at all. It's important to remember that alexithymia is real, that it can be a real struggle to live with, so you should never get angry at someone for having alexithymia. This especially goes for children, Children with alexithymia or flat effect need a safe environment where they feel free to express themselves, to work through their internal input, and figure out how best to cope with the way their brain works. You should never punish or shame a child for having alexithymia or for struggling with things that come easily to you. Some people reported to me that their alexithymia affects their ability to empathize, specifically in regards to cognitive empathy. Without going into too much detail as Empathy is its whole own video. There are two major components to empathy, affective and cognitive. Cognitive empathy, which many autistic people report that they struggle with, is when you mentally take the place of someone else to guess or determine their emotional state. What people often call standing in their shoes or seeing things from their perspective. Alexithymia can complicate an autistic person's attempts to guess what other people are feeling, as emotions in general can be a realm of mystery. There are no known medications or medical treatments for alexithymia. Some people have found skill-based psychotherapy to be helpful, um, types such as cognitive mindfulness and dialectical behavior therapy, as those therapy programs encourage people to practice um, frequent introspection and to identify emotions in themselves and others. Other more structured therapies that people have reported helpful include art therapy, music therapy, focusing on songs with lyrics, and dance and movement therapy. 
So basically, why am I showing you this? Well, first of all, it's important to know what alexithemia is, right? Um, because one thing that I've said is that people lack compassion and empathy. And we see this everywhere. Uh, social media has allowed evil to be amplified and good to be amplified. And this is because we're at an age where the veil is thin. And if you have a lot of evil in you, boy, is it going to shine. And if you have good, boy, will that shine. Now, alexithemia is basically um, not putting a stop to um, interacting with other people emotionally. Uh, removing feelings, not catching feelings, right? Uh, seeing things objectively. The question would be uh, those of morals. We go to the point of morals. And I say this because if you understand that your morals can be shaped by what? Logic. Well, there's one person that we need to throw off the train and then everybody lives. Do you throw the person off the train or take the risk that everyone's going to die? That's basically the question. Do you just select someone? Does someone then decide that they're just going to sacrifice themselves? And they don't know if everyone's going to die, but they just assume that everyone's going to die if someone doesn't go. Uh, that is a problem, right? That's a dilemma. I'm just, you know, spitballing here, not a specific uh, question, but um, do you, you know, these are the questions that one should ask themselves. And what we realize is that we have toxic emotions very high globally right now. Um, Lewis Hay said it best when we forgive and let go, not only does a huge weight drop off our shoulders, but wait, drop off our shoulders, but um, a doorway to self love opens, right? And that basically means that there's a strong physical connection uh, that people have, a very strong one between our emotions and our physical selves, being. Uh, every single time we feel something, it's basically changing you, your DNA. And I'll, I'll demonstrate that and how that happens. So if you're in a, a place where you're just pissed off all day long and or you're in a state of love and feeling like super awesome, your life around you feels different. Your body feels different and you're in a different state in general. Um, it's, it's, it's really important to understand that there, there's many children out there that have been tortured, neglected, abused, and, um, you know, by people that should be protecting them. And I struggle with this. I say this many times and I, and, and I beg for strength for this, but to forgive is one of the biggest acts of love for yourself. And that's something that I'm struggling with on many levels. I'm struggling to forgive all those people that are misleading people who have their ear, uh, who have given them their ear. I'm struggling on a personal level for people that were, were part of my life for two decades that have caused immense evil. I'm struggling. I can't. 
I'm struggling on all levels, and I'm sure all of you are. I'm struggling with 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 a neighbor that sits there and tells me, you know, I'm racist because my color isn't the right tone. Uh, everyone struggles with that. That's a really difficult um, thing to do. I actually don't struggle um, to forgive people that troll me and attack me. I don't find it difficult um, to forgive them because I know that in their lifetime, they're going to regret it, right? People that have done harm to me or have used me or took advantage of me or hurt me or threw something at me or whatever, I know that the vengeance and the redemption isn't mine to seek, but someone else's. Regardless, if I troll, because a lot of people are like, whoa, you troll. Of course I do. And it's not for them. It's to prompt the people's ears that are opposed to them. Like, for example, Ali Akbar. He's telling people to give him money so he can make them rich, so they can fund the revolution. He also told them that he he told Sidney Powell to remove things from my affidavit. It's the most insane thing ever. Like, why would she even listen to someone named Ali Abdul Akbar? Whatever. But I feel bad because I know what is coming. I know what they are going to go through. Every single patriot, pay with a Y, I know what they're going to have to go through. And it hurts me because it didn't have to be like that. There was time to turn around. You know, these things, I feel bad because I know what they're going to go through. So in that essence, I forgive them. But forgiveness is a very big thing, right? Uh, because it helps us work with toxic feelings that we have, right? I have to a toxic relationship with the media. I can't stand them, right? I can't stand them, that they're obfuscating things, that they're, you know, not allowing certain voices to be heard. I mean, even, even if someone's a lefty, right, and you're having an event, why would you bar them? You're no different. Censorship is censorship. This cognitive dissonance that you're more right than others is the same shit we read in Animal Farm back then. No one is more righter than another. The only person that is the most righteous is not even a person. It's God himself. So when people think, well, I'm more right or I'm more this, right? So you need to shut up and listen to what I have to say. That's a problem. That, you know, and many will say, well, you do that. And it's like, no, mine is actually truth, right? It's not a perspective. It's not a friend's thing, right? This is actually raw, unfiltered, blanked out freaking truth, not decoding shit, not my friend said so, or the fifth cousin of the third cousin of the cousin over there that I met at a rally underneath, uh, you know, shut up. No. Truth is truth. I, I, I wanted to respond when I was at the doctor's office today. I, I wanted to respond to someone who was like, hey, I need some help over here defending Tori. I don't need to be defended. Truth needs no defense. It stands on its own. Let them rip it apart. How many times in history have you seen good and truth be torn apart only to be resurrected way stronger than anything? So uh, toxic emotions is what we have toxic emotions and it's not just the fact that we can't forgive 
It's that we don't understand how we can create everything. Remember uh, what Galileo said, that everything is manufactured and perceived by you. Therefore, what you feel changes your reality and in essence does change your, your, your attitude. How many of you have gotten up in the morning and stretched and felt like there was an extra pep in yourself? How fucking awesome was that day? All right. How many of you were like, yeah, that day fucking rocked. I did everything. I like by noon, I had so much shit done. Everything felt great. Food tasted better. Uh, my body was working better. I was able to do a lot of things. Right? How many of you? Because your attitude was great when you got up. Probably a great dream, perfect timing on waking up. But then those of you that get up and you stub your toe, right? That's it. Your whole day is fucked, right? It's completely fucked from the get go. So, right now, every single day that an American wakes up, they're waking up with the stub fucking toe. I've got Zen, Jen Saki clearly stating that she is actively that that supposed administration is actively engaging in censorship we have an administration telling us that they will be knocking on our door and sending get this people to check if you need the vaccine oh and mind you maybe that's where they're sending all these immigrants to with airplanes because most of them don't even fucking speak english so again You're waking up every day in this horror story of liquefying human remains. True. Children being abused. True. Money being lost. True. Not knowing if your house will be standing up tomorrow. True. Not knowing if your nation's going to go to war. True. All of this is putting you in a toxic emotional state. So I thought it would be important today for us to see why this is happening, right? And and why you're having this toxic effect on your life and how you can uh, understand how your software. But before we get to that, speaking of censorship and that stub toe that we wake up to every morning, um, I found great commentary on the censorship uh, by Jesse Waters, um, who's just been super on point lately. I freaking love him um, and hilarious. But it's important to listen to what these actors, all of them, are telling you. See on social media, the White House boasting Here. about how it's teaming up with the big tech platforms like Facebook to flag, quote, problematic posts about COVID-19 and has administration staffers working to police content online. Press Secretary Jen Psaki admitting it yesterday. We are in regular touch uh, with these social media platforms. We've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. Best word. And despite the backlash and concerns it could lead to a crackdown on speech, Saki doubling down during a clash with our very own Peter Ducey. For how long has the administration been spying on people's Facebook profiles looking for vaccine misinformation? Well, that was quite a loaded and inaccurate question, um, which I would refute. 
Well, Peter, first of all, as you know, we're in, we're in a regular touch with with a range of media outlets. As as, as let me finish. Watch, as we are, as we are in regular touch with social media platforms. The Michelle. big concern, though, I think for a lot of people on Facebook is that now this is Big Brother watching you. They're more concerned about that than people dying across the country because of a, a pandemic where misinformation is traveling on social media platforms. And Joe Biden had this very strong reaction. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're kill people. I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And and they're they're killing people. All right, so Jessica, if you're a government official, you can crack down on free speech and just say, hey, I'm saving lives. Saving lives. We're going to take away your First Amendment, saving lives. I don't really see how this is cracking down on the First Amendment because they're everything that's people nuked off Facebook. No, well, they're not actually. So the study that Jen Psaki cited uh, was publicly available. It was published actually in May. It's covered by a range of outlets that said that there were 12 main accounts that were spreading 65 percent of the disinformation about COVID-19. We can all Google. I did Google it. That's for us to see. Okay. Facebook. You when you post on Facebook. You do. I don't have an account, but if I did, I would post and right. it would be public. And there could be people in the government. There could be people, people in private organizations like social media companies that have a responsibility to keep people as safe as possible. And COVID disinformation do does get people killed. Think Doesn't matter. That the White House should be in charge of labeling what's disinformation. I don't, the White House, Joe Biden, the Democratic Party has a horrible track record when it comes to what disinformation is. Look. If I want to say that drinking giraffe urine, true story um, that I saw, helps me, um, (laughs) you know, eliminate cancer cells from my body, I should be able to fucking say that. It's my Facebook. I put it out there. People that follow me will see it, and they have their own discernment. Why would the government have any say in that? Right? That's the question. And to defend that, hmm. I'm not sure that they have that much of a track record. They've only been in for a few oh, well, months. I mean, I said uh, the Democrats too. Lab leak, open borders. Uh, okay, either way. Sending a, sending a memo. Russian to- hoax. <laughs> let me All of that was let disinformation. Me oh, let me back. just put a hypothetical out and then Greg can answer. Greg, so let's just say President here, right? Trump. <laughs> we weren't getting anywhere. Let's say President Trump, okay, a couple years ago, colluded with Facebook to crack down on people posting about the Russia hoax. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what? CNN's posting about the Russia hoax. It's disinformation. It's tearing the country apart. Let's nuke them. What do you think the media would have said then? Uh, they would have gone crazy. And that's right. actually a really good analogy. I, I interrupted it. I said, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. Once the government is involved with a, a, corpor- a corporation, that's a violation of the First Amendment. That's what's happening. It doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter if you believe it's misinformation. It doesn't matter because it's for misinformation. Every opinion could be misinformation by your definition. That's what the First Amendment is, coming out and, and saying your opinion. I don't trust this government. I'm so, and I, I do trust you, Jessica, but I don't trust most Democrats in defining what misinformation is to, to Jesse's point. I mean, imagine the people, look at it from our perspective. Imagine the people who spent decades calling us stupid, rubes, and racists, are now in charge of controlling the spread of information by using the word misinformation. Any sane person would say hell no, but we don't even have to say hell no. We can say we're totally wrong 
It doesn't matter. This is a violation of the First Amendment. If you you, you can use the misinformation uh, against any, let's say, Republican conservative argument, a defensive law enforcement. Well, you want blacks to die. Your defensive capitalism. You want the poor to die. Right. A defensive school choice. You want teachers to die. Anything could be based on the fact that these people are going to die so we can control the information. Boom. That's why you have to stop it now. It's, they're they're, they're going to use this argument. They're killing people to control you. And there will be times when the information comes out and it's wrong and it'll be wrong on the left and it'll be wrong on the right. That doesn't matter. The collusion is what matters. Here's what I think happened, Shannon. The White House really screwed up the Johnson and Johnson situation. You saw when they came out and they spread doubt about J&J vaccination rates plummeted, never recovered. Right. And so now he doesn't meet his July 4th goal for vaccinations. And he's just saying, Facebook, it's your fault. And all you people, all you right wingers, it's your fault. And we're going to get rid of you. Well, remember, just a couple of weeks after President Biden was inaugurated, there was this piece in The New York Times and people laughed it off or whatever. But they had they talked to experts and they said, we need a reality czar. And what we're going to do is a full federal government response where across agencies, these people all meet. They'll look for disinformation. They'll shoot it down. It'll go through the reality czar who then will then meet with the heads of big tech. Did you hear that? The realities are. They want to shape your reality. Did you hear it? The Ministry of Truth. Remember how I showed this little logo at the top when Schiff was talking? Yeah, yeah. The Ministry of Truth. Yeah, here it is. A reality czar. We're going to take a quick break. Um, I will see you guys in just a moment. You're going to call us racist. You're going to call us potential Timothy McVeigh's. Fuck you. I ain't trying to sell my soul. I just want to play my role. I just want to reach my goals. Didn't get the facts, I'm swole, I'm told. Been around the block, I'm old. Started with silver, then gold. Watching my future unfold. Tori on history mode. She bold, so she kept cooking them crows. She knows who the fuck they trying to decode. Great string, yellow brick roads. Better start switching up goals. Used to be friends, now foes. And that's just the way that it goes. They chose. Now they all losing control. It's hard to climb out of that hole. Great, 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 great tune, wasn't it? I really enjoyed it. Thanks for those uh, lyrical melodies, Dianon. Those were fantastic. Um, I mean, his music is jamming always in my car. Um, and Don McDonald. You know, a, a lot of people think that uh, certain music uh, resonates in other frequencies. It's not a think, it's a fact. And, you know, one person mentioned, well, doesn't rap resonate on that? Well, did you feel that? No. Actually, beats like that put your body into a swing, um, feeling something. And it's the words and the energy behind it that um, amplifies it. So I wanted to talk about actual versus perceived so that you understand how you can actually change your thoughts. So to create coherence, okay, so to create coherence in your life, uh, what you do is you use your mind. That is the actual foundation of what 
your mind is. It's to create some concrete coherence between what you believe and what your reality is. Okay. That is in fact what your mind does. So if you believe, for example, that you're under threat, right? Suddenly there are signals in your bodies that are released into your blood vessels, into your cells, um, that are telling your body, shit, you better be on high alert. And suddenly you're irritated, you're frustrated, you're yelling, you're in, no, oh, you're in attack mode, right? That's your precautionary response to, I am under threat. This is where they have all of us right now. This is why the, the floodgates of news have opened, which by the way, I'm going to school Peter Schweitzer, uh, to, this week on his stupid commentary about Hunter Biden. I'm just mentioning that. I'm sick and tired of half-assed journalism. I'm so tired of it. Because you know what? It then perpetuates amongst the masses. You know, I had someone sit in the room and say, why are we talking about Hunter Biden? It's like it's not. <laughs> My eye's not on Hunter. It's definitely not on Joe either. Okay? Um, but the reason that I'm so adamant on it's there's your concrete evidence that you that is irrefutable and no one is talking about it. Instead, the floodgates of a, why is everyone talking about graphene oxide now? Oh, it's toxic. Yeah. So's vitamin C. And well, you know, if you take too much of it, so is vitamin B12. If you will, you can pee most of that out, but you know, whatever. So is water. So is food. So is smoking. So are drugs. So is drinking. Stop. With the fear of porn, it's everywhere. Yes, it's knowledge, but people get hyped up because then suddenly they wake up because they see that and they just latch onto it. Like, oh my God, we've been talking about graphene for forever. Man, I befriended the dude that invented the way to mass process it. Like, come on. But the truth cannot be canceled. And that's what's important right now. The truth cannot be canceled. So what they're trying to do is to control your thoughts and your thoughts are what are giving you those signals within your bodies to prepare your body cell by cell to be ready to attack the problem. And if there's no threat, right, your cells don't know that. You think your cardiac cell or your uterine cell or your, you know, epithelials anywhere. <laughs> no, no. They just respond to the chemicals that you release because you thought of it. And suddenly, if you say you're under stress, guess what? You are literally under stress. Your body, your neck starts to hurt. Your head starts to hurt. You start to sweat. You start to, you know, salivate, whatever, right? Like salivation, right? You smell something good. Suddenly you get a lot of, you know, um, spit in your mouth if you're hungry, right? And you know you're hungry, but your body knows it too, and it's responding to it. You see, your physiology is affected by your thoughts and what your interactions are, right? So even in a, even our environment in front of us changes because of that. So your thoughts, whether they're right, wrong, or misled, whatever, they literally change your biology. And this goes back to the ancient times of, you know, all these going you know, fruity statements that you are, what is it? You are what you eat. No, you are what you think, what you think you are, what you think you are. That is fact. So you become exactly what you think you are or what you think you're being through. And that is actually, that's actually what epigenetics is based on.
Epigenetics is um, uh, what you believe or what you are actively um, garnering as a thought in your situation, right? Um, to actually come and result into a chemistry to change your biology to become that. Meaning if you think you're under threat, you are being preyed upon. So you are now prey. So you're giving signals to your cells to be acting like they're being preyed upon, that you're prey, right? Now, that's how the mechanism works. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me show it to you. I think it's better if I show it to you. Hold on. Let me, let me see if I can do this. Give me a second. So for those of you that have been delving into all this science with all these people that are meaning well, but they're adding to it. This is why they allowed it to happen for so long um, is important. Okay. Let me open up this document. All right. All right, guys. So let me show you what this is. Let me get back in there. So I'm going to put this out for you guys. So you understand it, right? So your thoughts actually help you become that, right? So basically your behavior is based on your thoughts. So what do we do? Hold on. So what we have is we have a thought which then promotes a signal, right? And then that signal creates a protein and that protein um, results in your behavior, right? That's basically what happens. This is like facts of science, right? Right? So if we say that the if we say that the behavior isn't supporting this, uh, you know, your behavior um, is not good, right? Or whatever is the outcome of this feeling, right? We call it that we have like, say you have a headache, right? Your behavior is that you're acting like prey and you're stressed out. So suddenly you have a dis in ease, right? You are now, your behavior is now your dis-ease, your disease. You're not at ease, um, if that helps. So basically, this is where you're at. You're at the point where you've just made yourself sick, worried, sick, right? So if someone was to say that that's not true, you should ask, well, I worried myself sick because I thought that I was really worried because I couldn't get in touch with uncle, you know, Jim on his phone. So I was stressing out and then my brain gave signals to my whole body. Holy shit. We're freaking out. Right. And then all these proteins were made to get me into stress. Right. Which then gave me the worry wart. Right. So every protein to be created in your body requires a signal. Right. Some form of signal. Either that be a uh, message, um, a prompt, a reaction, a release of something. That's how you create proteins. I mean, that's how things talk within your body. They're with proteins. Let me check the chat and make sure that people are getting this. Are you getting that? Okay. So, okay. So, um, basically, that can be considered the cause of this infodemic too. Proteins. 
um, they can be defective. What I call misfolded proteins, which are called prions, right? They lead to they lead to causing uh, higher expressions of disease, right? Because of defective proteins, right? Um, and so proteins are responsible. So you've got a signal, a protein is released, and that causes everything else. So just so you know, a lot of people say, well, it's a genetic disorder. You know, if most of the shit that goes through people, it's, it's less than like, I think it's like 1.2% of all diseases are because your genes are fucked up. Okay. And that came from Craig Ventner, who was actually part of the human genome project. Okay. The majority of dis-ease is because of proteins, protein misfolding, proteins not being um, created correctly, even genetic birth defects and random mutations that we have are not as, as, as disharmonious and cause that much harm as, um, uh, you know, proteins, which actually uh, demonstrate uh, proper disease. And why do I say this? The signals, right, the signals that you put out, the thoughts that you have, the situation that you are in, well, that's the cause of more than 90% of all disease, right? All of it. So whatever signal you have out there, if you think you're being hunted, shit, you're going to be on high stress. Cortisol is going to be high. Your kidneys may dysfunction. You may have adrenal, you know, glands going on override. On top of that, it is shown that people that have higher levels of cortisol, it's cortisol that causes the miscommunication in the proteins and therefore cancer begins. Did you know that? That's why people that are runners and active are mostly susceptible to cancer. I know it sounds dumb. That's why they say that people, if they're 20 pounds to 30 pounds over their ideal weight, they are almost, um, it's almost like a buffer to not allow cancer to happen because their proteins get to work in an environment with cortisol. So uh, cortisol is a bad hormone. It is a stress hormone. That shit will freak you out. You'll grow old really quick. I don't care how resting bitch face you have and how much you spend on those new Chanel line creams for your face. That shit will make you fat, stressed, and it will cause you harm. But in moderation, that's why being overweight in moderation, there is a steady flow of cortisol, which makes your cells, you know, that bathe in it more adapt. They adapt easier to creating proteins for regular signaling pathways uh, within that environment better because they've been buffered. How's that? They're kind of used to it, right? It's like when you walk into someone's house and it smells like food, you know, after five minutes it's gone. So there's actually a study that proved that if you're 20 to 30 pounds overweight, you're less likely to get cancer, 20 to 30, right? Not like, not like me, 20 to 30. So um, it's important to understand that the signal is what causes 90% of this disease that we have as human beings. And even if there is something that is manufactured, something that is not innately created, something that is created in the lab and stuck into you, something, um, it's your signal that will allow it to interfere with your health. So trauma, for example, and all of you right now will be suffering PTSD for decades. For those of you that will survive decades, you will have that. So trauma is number one, 
because trauma interferes with any thought communications, um, you know, between your brain cells to be correct. It's always going to be tainted as if you like busted up a certain section of your brain. It's just fucked up. It got bruised and it's there. So it interferes with the actual flow of information Uh, more tangibly. Let's put it this way. Um, let's say you have carpal tunnel syndrome, right? Um, you know, you have an inflamed, uh, your inflamed ligaments there, uh, that cause, you know, these, the nerves that go through there to be inflamed all the time. And that interferes with the flow of information. Therefore your hands not functioning correctly or spinal trauma. Uh, you know, actually that one's, you know, when you have spinal trauma and you can't walk anymore and you're paralyzed, uh, it's actually the secondary immune response that causes that scarring. But in the same sense at the foundation, it's interfering with the flow of information from the peripheral nervous system to the central nervous system and back out. Right. So I wanted to uh, make that clear. So trauma is number one and uh, trauma is something that is also within your heart, right? You're traumatized. So it can interfere with your health. Toxins also interfere with your health, such as smoking, right? Or drinking, right? A toxic chemical will cause changes within, uh, you know, your cells and it'll distort the signals that your cells are giving and therefore maybe create misfolded proteins or send signals from the brain that shouldn't be sent. You know, it alters communication kind of like, uh, you know, drinking alcohol or doing drugs, whichever, right? So the signal is based on trauma and toxins and thoughts. So there's three T's, thoughts, trauma, and toxin. Your thoughts are literally, literally transplanted into chemistry, um, translated and, and transplanted within your body. So from something uh, that is abstract, suddenly the abstract thought becomes something tangible because it translates into chemistry. So your thoughts become chemical signals within your brain, which become a tangible effect, tangible effect. I'm trying to express thoughts literally become things when within your body. That is what I'm trying to explain to you. Thoughts literally become things within your body. So this is something you need to repeat to yourself. Thoughts become things because they translate into something tangible within your body. You're stressed. What happens? Cortisol increase. So the primary issue of almost anything within your existence lies between those six inches between your ears. Organically, there is nothing that you cannot remedy. There is this, um, there's this video. Where is it? I knew I had it. Okay. Um, I want it. I, so I want you to again, understand it. If I think I'm under threat, I will release cortisol and therefore my stress is now tangible, like something you can measure. If I pee into a cup, you can measure my cortisol levels. If you take my blood, you can measure my cortisol levels. If I'm feeling happy, you can measure my happy. 
by taking my blood. If I'm next to someone and they're releasing oxytocin, you'll be able to literally measure how much I want to jump their bones because you can measure the chemical in my blood. They literally manifest into things. So anyone telling you anything different has no idea how the human body works. Okay. So there's this video. Hold on. Um, uh, there it is. And this is from, uh, the same place that I usually use their videos, which is, um, seeker. Hold on. Let's, let's play this. This is pretty good. This is a pretty good explanation. DNA, and then that can change the DNA of your children or future children. I'm not here to pressure you into anything. Anthony here for D News, and you've probably heard of epigenetics. This is the idea that while the structure of your DNA doesn't change, parts of it can be turned on and off through chemical changes in your body. It's called DNA expression, and it has a lot to do with your behavior and lifestyle. So smoking and eating too much can make the genes for obesity in your body express themselves strongly. Psychological trauma and highly stressful events can affect the genes that control the brain receptor for oxytocin, which is this hormone associated with love and trust. People who sleep poorly for just a week can show changes in 700 genes. Now, the good news is that the opposite is also true. So leading a healthy life can cause your body to turn on beneficial genes. You can also reduce the genetic risk for diseases that are hereditary in your family. There's even an idea that you pass those changes on to your children. It's called epigenetic inheritance. And we used to think that its effects were minimal, that genes would reset their on-off switches between generations. But a small study published this week by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences showed that it may play a huge part in a child's development. So researchers tracked 20 women, all mothers who had had gastric bypass surgery and lost around 100 pounds. All of them had children before and after the surgery, not for the study, but because they wanted a family. When the team compared the children born after the mother's surgery to those born before, there were about 5,698 genes that were expressed differently. And most of them were genes that are important for heart health and metabolism. And when the doctors tested the kids with the changed genes, they had healthier insulin levels, blood pressures, and their weights were better than the other kids. Epigenetics might even control love. Love, man. There are these prairie voles that mate for life. They build nests together. They get studied a lot because their relationships look a lot like human ones. In a study published by Nature Neuroscience, researchers took two voles that had been around each other for six hours, but hadn't mated and they injected them with this drug that was supposed to stop methylation of the genes that controlled oxytocin and vasopressin, which are the big love and trust hormones, right? Total love connection. The voles fell for each other. And when their brains were compared to a couple of voles that made it on their own, the oxytocin and vasopressin receptors looked similar. Love causes the change, the change causes love. Something interesting. If the scientists injected two voles who didn't know each other with the drug, the love connection didn't happen. Which brings up the big question with epigenetics. How much control does it really have over us? Those voles needed some sort of pre-existing bond, even if their genes were telling them to build a tiny vole love nest and have 2.5 vole children. You might be able to restrict or strengthen the expression of a gene somewhat, but can it really fundamentally change you? What do you think? Let me know down below and subscribe for more D News. So what he said was what they did, they actually uh, had methylation within their DNA that was stopping the expression of oxytocin and vasopressin. And when you're stressed, you don't trust anyone, right? You can't listen to the truth. You're confused. You don't want to be around people.
This is why I say it's important you get together. Because have you ever had that feeling that when you hug someone, it's just like, oh, you know, for those of you, because most of my audience is an adult audience, right? Um, you could be in front of someone at a club, uh, in a room and, you know, totally be platonic. But the minute you guys come in super proximity, suddenly it's like, you know, a fire's like burning in your loins and you're like, what is going on? That's a chemical release, right? That is how, um, you know how they say pheromones. It's not really pheromones. It's another chemical that you release within your body and you feel this feeling, right? It's a signal. You suddenly are in proximity and you're like, yeah, I totally love the way this person smells. And it's like, yep, I'm totally hot. Boom. And then suddenly you're in a bathroom somewhere, you know, <laughs> if you're in a club, I'm just saying. So it's all about chemistry, but your thoughts, when you come into proximity, trust is there when you're in proximity, when you hug, when you see the person, when you can hear their frequency, when you can, this is why it's important. We don't talk on the phone anymore. We're always on text. We don't talk. We literally are on social media. And then when we do talk, their voice sounds nothing like what you would expect because you had formulated this idea of what they sound like in your mind. So suddenly it may rub you the wrong way. How many of you have had that conversation? Oh, geez. I work with someone for like, uh, shoot, 21 years. God rest his soul. And um, it was in 2016. And he was like, well, looks like you're going to be on your own on this one. And it was the first time I ever heard his voice. <laughs> and I was like, damn, you sound super girly. Like I had pictured him being some, you know, really strong dude, um, like tall, like, you know, like Ragnar, you know, from the Vikings, uh, cause he was so damn spit and fire. Right. And the way he just commanded code was just like, rah, right. But, <laughs> but he sounded like a sissy boy. And he's like, I was like, damn, you sound super sway. Um, you know, and it totally ruined it for me. Uh, that moment where I'm actually going to come, <laughs> I told him that too. No filter on that. I mean, honestly, it's the best policy, but I was like, damn, I wanted to hear some, you know, strong manly voice, you know, on the other end. And here's an old guy that sounds soy. Um, and that's because I had imagined it and I had expectations, right? Um, love him, still pray for him, um, you know, wherever he is. Uh, but his frequency to my ears wasn't what I, I expected. I expected a Gandalf, right? That's the level that I expected. That's, that's basically it. So, um, I, it was the first time I, I had heard his voice. So the expectation was different. This is something that they've conditioned us to do. It's a lot. Let's all do text. Let's all do social media. Let's do email. There's no meeting in person. There's no writing letters where it's personal and you can see the other person's emotion when they're writing to you, right? How, how much weight did they put on the pen? Um, did they sit and write it? And, and say, I'm going to take time to do this. Or were they like, you know, writing it in their car, right? I can tell those things when I get letters. 
And which one was done like, no, 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 I'm going to write it because I'll never get to do it. You can feel that because it's something tangible, right? It's a proximity. So it's important um, that we realize that um, our emotions actually affect us physically. And um, there have been immense studies that have proved that emotions directly affect us and, and the actual world around us. Uh, you know, uh, there was an experiment that was done a while back where they had actually put, um, was it, um, they had um, DNA in a sealed container, right? It was in a sealed container and was placed near a test subject. Ooh, okay, I won't name the, uh, the, the, the experiment, but uh, the subjects that were used in this test were um, those that uh, had mastered to create um, specific emotions. So in the presence of positive, of those that were emoting positive emotion, the coils of the DNA relaxed. Kind of like what the guy said on that video, that if you have uh, obesity genes, eating the fast food that triggers that will relax the DNA. And, and that's the video that I've been showing. Remember the video that I did over 12 years ago where I'm showing, hey, this is where the DNA is relaxed. Here's where it's tightly wound, right? When it's relaxed, you get in, you access it, and you can read information and express proteins. It's like that. So the more positive the emotion was, the DNA relaxed. Those coils that I had shown a couple times, that video, the only video, except for you, chromatin, but that's way down the line. Um, that video was important because it was teaching you in the simplest way to understand how much information is in that DNA, how it unwinds like coils and how it relaxes and how you access it and why it's so tight because it doesn't want you to access it. But in this experiment, there were these same subjects who were very well trained were, um, play, uh, they placed this DNA in negative emotions in negative environments. And you know what happened? The DNA tightened. It became so tight, there was no way you can access any of the code. It was as if it was ready to split in two. It was at that level of mitosis. And so the researchers concluded that human emotion produces effects that defy the, convention and the conventional laws of physics. They actually said that in their paper. In the same kind of experiment, what they did was they wanted to observe the effect of DNA in our actual world. So light, right? Light, as I've said, just exists. So um, what they did was they put light photons within a vacuum, which means, you know, it's completely no, no gravity, no air pressure, no, not, it's a vacuum. It's, it's, it's a dead end. Right. And like I said, light simply exists, right? If it didn't, then this experiment would have gone different. But what happened was the light was in the vacuum, all simple. And, you know, when they were looking at the light in a vacuum, uh, the positions of all these photons, right. would look like they were just hanging out. They were just random. There was no pattern, right? So what happened was uh, in this vacuum, they decided to introduce human DNA, right? So suddenly what they noticed was in a vacuum where photons were just by themselves, they were kind of like, you know, random, 
right? They were just, they just were, right? They just existed. They couldn't say, oh, they're pairing up in threes or in a line or creating a structure. But when they, when they introduced DNA, guess what happened? The light followed the geometry of the DNA. So in essence, photons flocked to the DNA and became part of it. And I think the, the term, let me see if I can pull up the paper. The term was that they are behaving surprisingly and counterintuitively. Uh -huh. You mean, we don't know why this is happening. That's basically it. And they said, we're forced to accept the possibility of some new field of energy. The results of these experiments prove our emotions affect DNA and our DNA affects our physical world. Therefore, our emotions physically change the world around us. So if DNA can change how light behaves and emotions can change how DNA behaves, then your emotions, your thoughts that create tangible interactions can in turn change the world around you. So what we're seeing right now, and this is why I get frustrated and angry. And, uh, you know, I know, you know, most of these people even think that they, they follow the word of God or, and it's so sad. It makes me very sad to know just how, um, they're seeing words with the wrong eyes. They're seeing it with eyes of this reality rather than the actuality. And here's where we're going to go to outcomes, actual versus perceived. And we're going to watch this guy named Melvin Tan, um, just some YouTuber. Uh, he was kind of cool and pretty much put it down in, in layman terms. And I think it's kind of cool to listen to. Take a listen. Outcome doesn't match the perceived outcome. Well, in that situation, actually, there are two ends of the extreme. One end of the extreme is that you continue to work towards the perceived outcome and you strive every day to do something about it to work towards that perceived outcome itself. However, the thing is, if you're not going to be able to achieve that perceived outcome anytime soon or within that, that time frame that you thought that you might, what's gonna happen is you're gonna feel some level of exhaustion, some level of fatigue, and even some level of disappointment. However, if you take the other end of the extreme, which means you kind of acknowledge that this is what it is, and you try to live in harmony with it, then what's gonna happen is, you know, you, you especially if you're someone who is always looking to make it, to make things better, then there will always be that nagging thought that what if I have done this, what if I've done that, what if I've tried this, or what if I've bought this course, for example. Now the truth is, in this current situation, especially with COVID-19, is many people are, you know, along this spike itself. But what's really important for us to recognize is that there are three levels of control. And I like to think of it as in terms of a spectrum. 
And that spectrum is basically something that you have absolute control over and some things you have absolute no control over. And then there are things that you have somewhat of a control over. Let me explain. So things I have control over, absolute control over what time I get up, what time I go to bed, what attitude I would choose when faced with any of this circumstance, that's what I have control over. What I have no control over is how other people are going to behave in public, whether how fast the, the disease, the COVID-19, it's going to be spreading. I have no control over that. But there are certain things that I have somewhat of a control over. And this could be seen like, you know, in this current situation where some of us are experiencing a dramatic decrease of income. So what are some of the things that you have control over? Well, I believe that we have control over what we put out in the market. What are we going to put out in the market? That's what we have somewhat of a control over. But we have no control over whether people would buy it or not. However, we are able to influence them. And the way that we can influence them essentially is to be able to show and not tell. In other words, to be able to demonstrate to them what is our capability, what is our talent, what is our strength, and how we can help them solve the problem. And so if you continue to take that approach yourself, I think you will be far better off and less feeling of anxiety and, and, and frustration because you will not fall into that category whereby you think you have control over everything and you try to work towards it, yet you never quite arrive at that perceived outcome. So what are some of the things that you have some control over and that you can work on it that would be able to help bring you closer to your perceived outcome? Share with me. So he was talking business. That was my little homage to the Patriots, right? While they're trying to control the narrative and tell you what you need to think and what you need to do, they're losing it. And it's all about income. See, this guy was talking about a pandemic. Uh, this, this is how I wanted it to be perceived by you. He's talking about the pandemic and products. Are you answering a problem? Are you creating Postmates or DoorDashers? Are you answering a problem? That's what you need to look to, not to try to throw a product down someone's throat. This is the way the news are. They're trying to throw narratives down your throat and throw you into panic. Let me ask you a question. Can you control COVID? Yes or no? Obviously not. Whatever they're telling you, you can't. Can you control all the food that you've eaten and you may consume? I mean, do you own a cow? No. Can you buy a cow? Maybe some of you can. Maybe some of you can't. So you cannot have access to that. So, okay. So what do you do? Do you freak out about it? Do you change your diet and start eating crickets? Like, what are you going to do? You accept your situation. You are in a situation which you cannot control. You cannot control what 
the pol the politicians are saying, but you can't control what they're doing by using the tools you have. You can't control the corporations from silencing you, but you can evade their capture and or take it out of their hands. Move the ball out of their fucking court. Get together. Have coffee. Have dinner together. Eat biscuits in the middle of a park. For me, for example, I can't prep. I live in an apartment, right? How much water am I going to have in there? Do you think God would let you suffer? You just have to have faith that he's going to take care of everything you cannot control. You know, for those of you that know biblical stories, do you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah where angels came in to that place and said, and they had the task that if, if, if there's one good person, I will save them. And they caught people cooking, maybe even on the toilet, right? Um, and caught them with their pants down, literally on the toilet and said, hey, come with me. Uh, there might have been a lady down in the market checking out some backsplash. Hey, you, come with me, right? They were saved. And they didn't know they were being saved until they were saved. That's how it works. You have to have faith that the things that you cannot actually control will be taken care of. Because lots of people are like, should we prep? Yeah, we should always have like a, a one or two cases of water sitting in a closet somewhere. Yeah, we should always have some canned beans or, you know, maybe a box of MRE somewhere. Why not? I mean, we should always have some flashlights and some batteries, right? Maybe some Faraday fabric phone, right? With another electronic device like a ham radio in there, you know, one of those handheld things, you know, kind of. You should always have something just in case. You should always have uh, some something, maybe um, bullets, right? <laughs> you should always have something. But you really can't control a lot of it. You, whoa. Who's that talking? Can you guys hear that? I can hear that. Where am I hearing that from? From my headphones. Okay. See how I see how my uh, my um, my microphone is so loud. I could hear my kids talking. So prepping. You can't really prep. You can't. You can do what you would normally do, right? You can do. Um, what you would have in case of an earthquake, a hurricane, a flood, right? We always have that uh, little thing, but we can't really do much. What we can do is pray and do those little things that do matter. You are still free on paper. And that really matters when you put your foot down on it. You are still free on paper. You still have your community. You'll be very surprised how many people would be there with you, standing with you. Your first meeting in Idaho may have been five people. The next time it'll be 10. And the next time after that, 20. And then 30. And suddenly you've got your whole county getting together for a block party or organizing. See, church is the one thing about churches that's incredible is that people get together and they form this bond right? Because they're part of a community together. And it is 
very important for everyone to, to, to think about that. It doesn't mean that you have to join a church, right? But it, it does matter for you when you know that 10 blocks away, one block away, a door away, there's someone there that has the same concerns as you, loves their nation, loves what their nation stands for, just like you, and they will be there every step of the way with you. Not necessarily in arms, maybe, maybe not, but just there with you. That when and if something were to happen and someone comes and rounds you up for not getting the jab or rounds you up for posting pres a President Trump meme or something, that they will be there and they'll be like, hey, we're rounded up together. That's what's up. See, um, many times I joke with friends, <laughs> you know, uh, they're going to round this up and, I'll be, and I say, well, I'm going to see where I, who's going to be sitting next to me and then I'll know which group I'm in, right? So if I see a lot of people that are like-minded, I'd be happy, right? So it's really important that people come into proximity, one, for that connection and to change your thoughts and your chemistry. Everyone's really disappointed. Everyone is being bombarded with a barrage of information that is useless right now. Okay. So there's graphene oxide. Great. How do we combat it? Well, we tell them no more vaccines, but all of them have it. Next, our food has it. Next, our water has it. Next, why are they banning cigarettes? Why did they ban cigarettes? Cigarettes are bad for you. Yes, I agree. They're a toxin, but why aren't they banning alcohol too? That's worse, right? More people die from alcohol than they do cigarettes. So you have to think about, well, I know that tobacco actually breaks down excess graphene. Oh, interesting. So does caffeine. So now we have a coffee shortage, right? Our water's tainted and fluoride is causing problems. People have been talking about this before, right? So why are we having all this come back up right now? Graphene isn't something new. It's just something hot right now. And it's not toxic as long as it's in moderation. Again, they've been experimenting with graphene on you for forever and a day. They know how their products move and where they go. I told you, Starbucks literally had it in specific coffee drinks so that they can track to where the people go. So you would pick it up at a coffee house in San Francisco, and then you'd go, I don't know, to Anaheim. That's pretty far, but whatever. And then they'd be like, holy shit, people drove all the way from Anaheim to get it. I guess we need to open up a store there. So it's been out there. It's just nobody's been telling you about it. So what you should do is sit back and use your discernment. Use that little voice inside that says, holy shit, they're telling me about graphene. Now they're censoring me. Facebook is not owned by Zuckerberg. He's just the pretend owner. The actual intellectual property is in the hands of the UN. Fuck. Wait a minute. If Twitter is private, then how did Twitter give their IP to the Obama administration who Hunter Biden's company along with others and the CIA built an identical platform of Twitter for Cuba and they did it for India and they did it for Haiti and they did it for the Congo and, 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 and wait a minute. It's not what they're telling us. Why are they telling us now if all of this has been there? This is what you should see. You are, this is an infodemic. I called it last year. It's not about a pandemic. It's an infodemic and it doesn't mean fake news. It means everything. This is a pandemonium of a barrage of information being thrown at you by many aspects, which are right and some are wrong. 
And instead of focusing on the microcosm of all these things, you need to step back and say, all right, we got this problem. We got that problem. So, so we've got censorship, health, dictatorship, right? Uh, they're taking away our kids. They're imposing on our private persons, on our property. They're taking our money. They're moving us to digital currency, so we'll have zero control over our money. They've tainted our food. They've tainted our media. Wait a minute. So where is the common factor? The common factor is that you're getting all of this information from the same effectors. The people that are giving you all of this shit is where the information is coming from, and you're in that coming from. So you're in a box of a shit ton of information, and you can't find your way out. Well, get the fuck out of that box and say, all right, stop. Stop the press. Where's my problem? That's what you need to do. All right, so I can't fix this graphene, done. Can't fix this censorship right now. Let's put it on the, let's put everything on hold. What is it that we can fix right now? That is the question you should ask yourself and we'll answer that tomorrow. What is it that you can fix right now? What can you fix right now? That is all you have to think of. What can you fix right now? Because, you know, many times that I've said, hey, they'll tell you everything you want. They'll be like, who? Look at my guns. Look at this. I love America. Look at my flag. Look at this. I'm a patriot. Fuck everyone else. Patriot, right? How'd that work out for Black Rifle Coffee, huh? Never thought that they would do it, right? They're veterans. They're this. They're that, right? What happened? Because the minute they get told, you better activate, they fucking activate. And it was done on purpose. They activated them on purpose right now. So that way, you are even more confused. Now you don't even trust the right. <laughs> well, you shouldn't. The right was always the first problem not the left. This is why President Trump said, I ran as a Republican because Republicans are stupid. Do you know why conservatives are so stupid? Because they couldn't see that they were worse than the Democrats. That's the problem. They couldn't see that the Republicans were worse than the Democrats. The Democrats fucking tell you who they are. They wear it on their sleeves. They're bigots, right? They think they're better than you. Their shit doesn't stink and you must obey. The right is like, yeah, totally, guns, yeah, first men, yeah, hoo, ha. and pulls out, you know, a sword to die on, right, Lindsey Graham? I'm just saying, or Grassley, how many times have you gotten my affidavits? I'm going to say this. You know, a lot of people are butthurt. They don't like the truth. But right now, this black rifle shit, I told you it was going to happen as of July 1st. They're all going to be pulling their pants down. You're going to know where all of them sit. They're activated full-blown force. And so what you got to see is who their common enemy is. <laughs> it's obviously the people. It's a war for your mind. Because the minute they control that and how you respond to it, you're fucked. Because your thoughts become reality. And if you think you're going to eat them for lunch, guess what? You better get yourself some, you know, toothpicks because you're going to be picking some bullshit deep staters out of your teeth. That's what's up. And that is how you fix things. You have to step back and see, well, why are they so adamant on this? And Peter Schweitzer, I'm so pissed at him. I'm actually going to showcase him on my article too. So again, you're not going to fix all these problems. 
Are you going to go and force them to remove graphene from vaccines and all medications and foods? Are you going to force them to give you paper dollar dollar? Hmm? Are you going to force them? You're not going to force them to do shit because right now you're too scared to do anything. You're sitting down, you're listening to all this information. It's freaking the fuck out of you. And it's like, Hey, we've been here. How long? And I've been telling you all this in little bits and pieces. Now, while many of you like, you should have just said it. <laughs> yeah. Even Jesus didn't come out and say it. You had to show his miracles, future proves past kind of thing, in order for people to wake up and see it themselves. He's not going to tell you what to think. Right? God never tells you what to think, does he? No. You have free will. So you have to think about it. Why would anybody who tells you the truth tell you, nope, you got to do it this way. Right. I'm not telling you to do it anyway. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually telling you that unless you see it for yourself and take yourself out of that box, you're never going to get out. You built that box around you and no one can help you, but you, and the only way I see that all of you can help yourselves is by getting together and by realizing that there's one common enemy for all of them on the right on the left remember with parlor what did i tell you like even rumble i'm on rumble right now right i'm streaming live they don't give me any ads i pay them over a hundred dollars so that i can stream there just to get my message out and they don't pay me shit i have to pay out of my pocket but all their friends get paid this is this is key you need to be paying attention to their actions freedom phone Y'all know I have a Google Pixel 4 XL. It's for a reason. Even though I want a new one, I don't think they're ever going to build it that well. Why would you pay them to take a Google phone that has been ungoogled and they put their own thing graphing? Really? Fuck you. Like, I, I just going to, how, how many of them have money into that? Why? They're going to take your data. See, just like the RNC was taking your data, just like everyone wants your freaking data. Why? Because your AI profile, you need to listen to my New Year's Day conversation about AI in China. For I think it was 2019 New Year's Day that I told you this was going to happen. And anybody can say whatever they want, but I told you this was going to happen. I told you this was going to happen. And like I'm telling you, you either branch out and make friends or you won't. Have anyone like-minded? Evil has a way of making truth doubt itself. Remember that. That is how it operates, always. By obfuscating the truth. Never calling it a liar to its face. But obfuscating it completely. So, um, I'm going to let you guys go for this evening. I will uh, try my best. I was hoping that I can get... Um, that article done today, but I could not because I had, you know, um, doctor's appointments and stuff like that. Um, and it took up most of my day, but I will have it right now after the show and all morning tomorrow. And hopefully I can get it out because I'd love to let Peter know what big of a shill he is. God bless everyone. And remember, don't listen to anyone. Don't listen to me. Just listen to your inner voice. It'll tell you everything you need to know. The doctor said to talk to him if I wanted to get off my meds. But I never called his office in. Poured the bottle in the garbage can. I'm stuck in this apartment and 
I'm anxious like the cops are here. I tried to call like all my friends. None of them are answering. Is this the moment where I can't control it? Got no appetite, I guess the party's over. I can't sleep at night and I keep rolling over. Cause my skin is itchy and the paranoia got me worried sick and it is so annoying. I've been throwing up, it looked like motor oil. But I chose to quit, now I can't avoid it. The right things to do are the hardest choices. Is this the moment when I need a donor? Liver failing from the liquor pouring. All the room is spinning, it ain't vodka soda. What is almost killing me is being sober. Talk about pitfalls. Surrounded by brick walls. This is what kids call. Withdrawal. Deleted every number from my phone. I'm staying home. Really wish that I was drunk with all my friends. I'm gonna beat it or I won't. And overdose. Really wish that I was high with all my friends.